Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's already been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Such a blessing to be able to praise him who is worthy. Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse number 10 is what I'm going to look at real quick. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to, you can turn them please to Nehemiah 8 and 10, but also go to Ephesians chapter number 4 and uh, keep your place there. We're going to be looking at both places this morning and some other places, so I want you to use your Bibles today and follow along with me. I want you to know that what I'm telling you comes straight from the truth of the Word of God. What I'm, what I'm saying to you is it don't come from the uh, Reader's Digest or Newsweek or uh, Time Magazine. This comes straight from God's Word, and that's what makes it powerful when we apply it to our lives. Can you say amen to that? So we, we want to make sure what we're hearing, what we're learning, what we're studying is the truth of what God has said. Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse number 10. Now, before I go there, I just got something I have to say. That first song we sang this morning just really spoke to my heart. And it talked about how that uh, there's many who have given the Lord more than I could ever give the Lord. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel as though maybe you're less than when it comes um, to, to what you see God doing and what God has done in the lives of others? But now, I want, I want to encourage you with something that the Lord has made very clear to me. How many of you know this is not a competition? <laughs> Amen? It's not a competition. And God has gifted you specifically with the gifts and talents and abilities that you have so that you could be used right where he wants you in the family of God. Do you know it? And you may think like that, that you don't have much to offer, but let me tell you something. Little is much in the hands of Jesus. If you don't believe me, I want you to go back and look in the scriptures at the feeding of the 5,000. They took five loaves and two fish, and guess what? Fed over 25,000 people that day. You say, brother, I thought it was 5,000. Well, that was just 5,000 men. What if they had their wives with them? What if they had their kids with them? I think it was a lot more than 5,000. The point is this. Jesus took a lot. They put it in his hands. He blessed it and then distributed it among the people. And with a little, he did a whole lot. So you may think that you just have a little bit to give. But I want to tell you, you put it in the hands of Jesus and it makes all the difference. I'm reminded of the man Moses. Moses was called by God there at the burning bush to go in and tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, to let the children of Israel go. And Moses said, Lord, I can't do that. You know I'm a man slow of speech. I don't speak good. I can't go into Pharaoh's court. He's going to laugh me off the place if he don't kill me when I get there. And God said this. He said, Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses had a staff, just a walking stick that he picked up on the backside of the Midian Desert somewhere. And God said, you take that staff with you, and I'm going to use that staff to make you like a god, little g, before Pharaoh. That's exactly what God did. Moses took what he had, gave it to the Lord, and the Lord done something great with it. It was with that staff that he cast it down in the presence of Pharaoh, and it turned into a serpent. So the Pharaoh said, well, you know what? If you can do it, I can too. And he called his magicians in. They came in who were demon-possessed, worshipers of false pagan gods. And listen to me now. They cast down their staffs, and they turned into a snake. But guess what? The snake that Moses had ate the snake <laughs> of all the, the magicians and sorcerers. Now, Listen to me, folks. That same staff. Moses stood on the banks of the Red Sea and he stretched it out and praised the Lord. God split the Red Sea so that the nation of Israel, his people, could walk across on dry land. Same staff. 
It was with that same staff that Moses went to the rock in Horeb and, and hid it. And guess what? Water came from a rock in a dry and thirsty place. And God used that staff all the way through the wilderness, from Egypt all the way through the wilderness until the, right to the gates of the promised land. God used Moses and what he had to do great things. But that could have never happened. It would have never happened if Moses would not have been willing to put in the hands of God what he had at that moment. Now, I'm asking you this morning, if you just give Jesus what you got, He's not asking for what you don't have. He's asking for what you do have. And I'll promise you, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Let's go on. Nehemiah chapter number 8, verse number 10. Look at this verse. One of my favorite in all the word of God. Watch what it says. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for this day. I'm so thankful that you've allowed me the great privilege of standing behind your Bible, your precious truth, and preaching your word. But Lord, you know, I know, we know that I can't do it in my power. I'll never do it effectively. Lord, unless you do it through me. So I'm asking that you move me out of the way and use me as your mouthpiece to speak your word to your people. Place me behind the cross today, Lord, and may these people not just hear what I say, but what you say. Lord, speak to hearts and change lives and do your work, we pray, in Christ Jesus' mighty name, amen. We've been talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the last two or three weeks. For every citizen of this great nation, we know these rights are outlined for us in the Declaration of Independence. It says this. It says that we are endowed or given by our Creator um, certain unalienable rights, these being lib life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I submit to you this. There's no way we can ever truly realize and experience these three rights just because it's written down on a piece of paper. Now, I'm thankful that it's written down on a piece of paper. Please don't misunderstand me. That is an amazing document, one of the finest ever penned by man. No doubt about it. But it takes more than just it being written down on that piece of paper for you and I to experience it. And I want you to truly, fully experience it. I want you to realize truly what God has for you, what your creator has for you. But that can only be realized unless you are in a right relationship with him. We talked about life and we said it's impossible for you to know eternal life, which is abundant life, unless you know the creator of life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. He didn't say he was a truth. He didn't say he was a way. He didn't say he was a life. No, he narrowed it down. He's pretty dogmatic about it. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means there's no other way to the Father. There's no other way into the kingdom. There's no other truth that's going to set you free except Jesus. He's the Logos, the Word of God made flesh. 
He is the essence, the epitome of truth. Not only is He the way and the truth, but then it says He is the life. And you'll never truly experience and realize eternal life, which is abundant life without Christ. It's not going to happen. The Bible says, He who hath the Son hath life, but he who hath not the Son hath not life. I hear a lot of people talk about the American dream and how that, you know, because we're in America, we have the, the great opportunity to live out the, uh, the American dream, which is to uh, be successful and own your own home and raise your children in safety and security and in freedom. And all of that is fantastic. Please don't misunderstand me. That's great. But let me tell you what I figured out. You can be just that. You can get the American dream. You can work hard and take advantage of the opportunities and privileges you have here just by being a citizen of this great nation. But let me tell you something. You can get the house. You can uh, get the power. You can make the money. You can raise your children, raise your family and safety and security and have what is called quote unquote the American dream but let me tell you something when you get there you'll still be miserable without Jesus you will you see it all the time I'm reminded of Alexander the Great you remember the great Greek conqueror he conquered the whole world history tells us by the time he was 33 years old and after he had conquered everything he could conquer he sat down and he wept because there's no more worlds to overcome here you have a man who's conquered the known world, who is, has power over the known world, has riches that, that no one has ever dreamed of. He has everything he could possibly gain in this world, but he sat down and wept. He was not satisfied. He was not content. Let me tell you why. Jesus said it like this. He said, what doeth it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Life, eternal life, abundant life is found in Jesus. Mick Jagger may have said it best. He's not a theologian, but he spoke some truth. He said he couldn't get any satisfaction. He's been singing about it now for about 60 years. I saw him the other day on television. I could not believe Mick Jagger's in good shape for what, I mean, that brother is dancing all over that stage. But he still don't have any satisfaction. Still singing about it. Made all the money. Respected in his field. But he still's not satisfied. True satisfaction, contentment, peace, joy, true life is found in Jesus. That's what makes the difference. He's what makes the difference. We talked about life and we talked about liberty. Now the liberty that God offers is not just the liberty for you to do what you want to do. But, but now the thing is God changes your want to's with a new desire by the person of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just him giving you the liberty to do what you want to. But listen, giving you the liberty to do what you ought to, what you ought to do. Now, what should we do? What is it that we ought to do? Well, we ought to take God's word and live according to its standard. Let me tell you why. Because the creator of the heaven and earth breathed it onto those pages. Are you getting me? We know that all scripture is inspired by God himself. Breathed by God, written down by men. And it's profitable for us. 
the Bible tells us, and I know it to be true. What we ought to do is live our life according to that, his standard. And he said, Brother Israel, what if I don't want to live according to, well, you've got a problem if you don't want to live according to God's standard. Until you can create your universe, you better live according to the standard of the one who created it. But it's impossible for us to do that effectively without his power. Power that comes in the person of the precious Holy Spirit that's given to everyone who trusts in Jesus. He gives us a new nature, a spirit nature. Can you say amen? We are born again by the spirit. And now because we've got a new nature, we've got a new desire. And because we've got a new desire, we've got a new direction. And because we've got a new direction, we've got a new destiny. And now we're set free to actually live the life God has purposed for us to live. Isn't that good? You can't. Jesus can. So what you need is less of you and more him. It's my body, but it's his life living in me, working on me, shining through me as I make a difference in the lost and dying world that I live in every day. Can you say amen to that? Freedom, true freedom is found in Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Life and liberty, those are some good ones, but this, the, the other one's not too bad. The pursuit of happiness. I just got one problem with it. I don't like the word happiness. God offers more than happiness. Really, the, the declaration fell a little bit short of what God is actually offering. God does not just offer you happiness. Let me give you my problem with happiness. Your happiness is always based upon what happens to you. You can almost hear it when you say the word happiness. It's based upon your circumstances. Your circumstances then dictate your feeling if all you're going on is happiness. But the, the problem is my circumstances change, therefore my feelings change, therefore my happiness can go from being way up here to way down there just like that. Are you getting me? I mean, it can be compromised by the smallest of things. Let me give you my Saturday morning routine. I've got to where I don't like doing a whole lot when I don't have to do a whole lot. Anybody else? Sometimes I feel like I'm so busy I don't know if I'm washing or hanging out. I mean, I, I, I meet myself coming both ways, it feels like. Some. So when I don't have to do nothing, I like not doing nothing. Saturday morning is my time for doing that. So I get up early on a Saturday morning just to do nothing. I'll get up, this is my routine. I go in and the first thing I do is put um, some coffee on to make and then I get in the shower. And while I'm in the shower, that blessed bean is doing its mag magic in the coffee maker. And I'm excited about it. I'm happy about it. And I take my shower and I get out and I get dressed and I go and, 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 and I get my, uh, my coffee that I had just made. And, and here a while back, I, I remember that my wife did something for me because she loves me. She bought me some cinnamon toast crunch. Now, I love... Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Anybody else? If you're not raising your hand, then you need to be in this altar and repent before you leave. Best cereal that's ever been made. And I know because I'm a connoisseur of cereals. 
I've been, I've been working on my list for a long time. Let me give you my top three. Number three is going to surprise you, but just hear me out, all right? Number three is old-fashioned cornflakes, not frosted flakes, not any of the, the fancy stuff, not special K, old-fashioned cornflakes that you add the sugar to. I love it. And when it's all said and done, down in the bottom of the bowl is that creamy goodness that you scoop up. That's number three. Number two of my top cereals is Apple Jacks. I love me some Apple Jacks. The milk after the, the, the cereal is always the best for me when I'm talking about Apple Jacks. But number one, my all-time favorite number one is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I believe manna that rained down from heaven in the Old Testament was actually Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The Bible says that they ate angels' food, and I can't think of anything else that would taste any more like angel food than Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I love this stuff. So my, my wife had bought me a big old box of it. So I get out, make my coffee, and then I get out my, my cereal bowl, which really is not a bowl. It's, mine's got a handle on it because what I use is a pot that you make green beans in. <laughs> Let me tell you why I do that. Two reasons. Any serious cereal eater knows you need quantity, but you also need to get in there with it. So I've got that handle so I can bring it right to where I need to bring it to. That way it don't get all in my beard. <laughs> so I got the handle, the pot, big old spoon. Got all that ready. I go to, and I'm, and I'm excited about it. I'm really happy about my Saturday morning. Then I go to the refrigerator. And my knot-headed kids has done something that I know probably don't happen at your house. But sometimes it happens at my house. I'll open up the refrigerator, and they've left about an eighth of an inch of milk. That's what made me so mad. Not that really I was out, but you're going to leave an eighth of an inch in the bottom? You can't do nothing with that. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. I went from being really happy way up here to really sad way down there. Just like that. Why? My circumstances changed. Therefore, my feelings changed. Therefore, I'm not as happy as I once was. Now, I know that's silly. I know that that don't make a hill of beans, but you apply that to everything else that you sometimes see as big things in your life. God offers more than happiness. What God offers is joy that becomes our strength. Amen? Isn't that what Nehemiah says? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why do you need strength? Because you're going to have some tough times in this life. And it's the joy of the Lord that keeps you standing. You're going to have some times where it feels as though someone has jerked, uh, snuck up behind you and jerked that rug out from under your feet and you fell flat on your face and you wonder what in the world is going on and why did this happen to me? It's in those moments God says, you can have my joy that is your strength. I wish I could tell you you're never going to experience that. But I can't tell you that and be truthful. As I've told you, I'm not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it guy. Never will be because it's not scriptural. You're going to go through tough times, but it's good to know God promises his joy even in the midst of terrible circumstances. 
I've seen it so many times as a pastor. Some of you here this morning probably remember Miss Joyce Ballou, her and Brother Charlie. Uh, if you didn't know uh, Brother Charlie and Miss Joyce Ballou, you missed a blessing. These are two of my favorite people that's ever walked the face of the earth. I looked up to Brother Charlie so much. He was, a first, he was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Winfield for many, many years. Over 35 years he was a pastor there. I think he's now over in Arley as their missions pastor at Arley First Baptist. Just a fantastic man of God, him and his wife. If you've ever been to Judgment House over at uh, Winfield First, that was started by Brother Charlie and Miss Joyce while they were there. They've done that for years. Had a heart for God and a heart for people. Joyce told me something at a D-Now weekend she invited me to years ago. I went over with them when I was probably 15, maybe 16 years old. And she told me something I'll never forget. When, when she was a young lady, she had a daughter that was 18 years of age and died suddenly in a car accident. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, I told my husband, Charlie, I'll never smile again. She said, I just can't. My heart's broken. I don't, know where, I don't know where to go from here. If you were ever around Miss Joyce, that's all the woman could do was smile. Walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of joy was just all over. Her and Charlie. Years later, that became real close to me. Her, her, it, it, when, when the same thing happened in my family, my brother, at 18 years of age, was killed tragically, instantly, in a car wreck. And I remember my mama saying the same thing. I just don't think I can ever smile again. Any of y'all been around my mama lately? That's all she can do is smile. Love's life. I was talking to a parent just the other day. My mother's drove a school bus for 35 years. And the parent was telling me how much her kids love my mama. You know what the kids said about my mama? She said, they say every morning the first thing we see when we get on a bus is Miss Diane's big smile. How is that possible? When I think about how much I love my children, I've never lost a child, but I've loved one. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one. I could see how they would say, I'll never smile again. So how are they still walking in joy? Because it's certainly not based upon their circumstances. There's something deeper. There's something much more substantial than just happiness. They've got the joy of the Lord that gives them strength in these times. Me and my wife have been to Haiti twice on mission trips. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Some of you here have seen abject poverty. You, you've seen what it's like to really be poor. We talk about poor around here. You don't know what poor is like. For the most part, what we think about as poor is somebody don't have the same size color as we got. Are you getting me? Poor is when you don't have clothes to put on your back and a roof over your head, Literally. Poor is when you're eating dirt cakes found on the ground because there's nothing to eat. That's poor. However, we get down to Haiti and I see some of the most joyful, 
Christ-worshiping, smiling people I've ever been around on the face of the earth that had absolutely nothing. Their circumstances was not dictating their smile or their frown. Something deeper's going on. Are you getting what I'm saying? What I'm trying to tell you, God offers much more than happiness. He offers joy that gives you strength and the times you're going to need it when life tries to knock you down and keep you down. Galatians chapter 5, brother, verse number 22. How is that joy realized in your life? As a believer, how many of you believe this morning that when you are born again, your sins are forgiven, your name is written down in heaven, but also you are indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit? How many of y'all believe this morning that when you are saved, your sins are forgiven, your name is written down in heaven, and you are indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit? Somebody should say amen to that. That's what changes everything. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we get what we need to live this life. He enables us with his power to do what we're supposed to do, to be what we're supposed to be. And if we'll just take care of being what we're supposed to be, the doing will take care of itself. So what are we supposed to be? Look at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Everybody see it? Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So where does Christian joy come from? The Spirit. The Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Um, Brother uh, Vance Pittman says something. He's the pastor at First Baptist Church, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I'm hoping I'm, I can get out there and go to, go to church. With that. He's my favorite preacher living. I love Vance Pittman. But Vance Pittman says this. He said that joy is nothing more than the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. <laughs> That's good. The life of Jesus being pressed out through us who are the branches looks like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, or faith, temperance, meekness. Against such there is no law. These are the fruits of the life of God being pressed out through us. That's how we live and walk and have our being. That's how we have the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. It's through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me ask you something. Why are we not more joyful? You ever wondered? I've been a pastor now for Almost 23 years, getting close. You know what I found out? Some of the meanest, most cantankerous, most negative people I've ever been around in my life are those who claim the name of Jesus. Something's wrong. Something bad wrong. If the fruit of the Spirit is joy, and we've got the Spirit. That's supposed to be evident in our life. And isn't it good when it is? Isn't it good to be around people full of the Spirit, just walking in joy? Man, that lifts me up. That encourages me. That makes me want to keep on keeping on. I love being around people like that. Joy 
is important for you. But listen, joy is important for us. Why? Because we've got to put up with you. And joy is important for me. Why? Because you've got to put up with me. I'm in the same boat. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying. We need to be walking in joy. Why aren't we? I think there's an answer. As a matter of fact, I know there is. It comes in Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm going to give you three or four things here that what I call joy stealers. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's start, first of all, Ephesians 4, and let's just start with verse number 27, brother, if you will, please. Ephesians 4, verse number 27. Now, this is kind of going to preface what we're going to talk about. This is the context in which Paul is speaking. He says, neither give place to the devil. Now, remember, he is a child of God speaking to children of God. He's preaching to a church. He's writing this letter to the church, and he says, hey, believer, make sure you don't give place to the devil in your life. So that must mean it's possible for us to give place to the devil even as children of God. Do you agree? I'm reminded of Peter, man, Peter, when he was asked, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood, hadn't revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. But then right on down from that scripture, Peter rebukes Jesus when Jesus tells Peter that he's about to go to the cross. Jesus said, look, I'm fixing to go to the cross and they're going to kill me and I'm going to raise again from the dead. All of this is going to happen. And Peter says, not so, Lord. You know what Jesus said? Get thee behind me, Satan. How did that happen? In a matter of five verses, Jesus said, the Lord's given you something he ain't give nobody else, Peter. Blessed are you. And right after that, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter gave place to the devil. You know what? Israel can do that too. So can you. When we allow the flesh to rule over the spirit. Are you getting me? Neither give place to the devil. Now let's get, I wish I could go all through all this, and I'm going to at a later date, but I can't this morning. Go down to verse number uh, 30 with me. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. How many of you know that now God the Holy Spirit, at the moment of conversion, you are indwelled by the Spirit, but the Bible says that Spirit seals you. He is sealed up in you. Are you getting that? Do you know we have this treasure in earthen vessels that Jesus dwells in me and Jesus dwells in you and the person of the Holy Spirit? But now listen, the Bible says because he is a person, he can be grieved. You can make him sad. And it says don't do that. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. But he can be grieved. He can be made sad. And if he's made sad within you, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be sad. You're going to lose your joy. Are you getting what I'm saying? Everybody follow me? So then he tells us how 
we can operate and not grieve the Spirit. He tells us some things we shouldn't do and some things we should do. Look at the next verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor on evil speaking be put away from you. Now watch. He says, first of all, if you don't want to grieve the Spirit, quit being bitter. Quit being bitter. Let me tell you why we get bitter. We get bitter because things don't work out like we want them to work out. Right? It is. Plans didn't work out. Relationships didn't work out. Things just didn't work out. And a lot of times what will happen, we'll get bitter because someone has done us wrong. Now everybody in here has been done wrong at one time in their life. And I'm not trying to diminish that hurt because I know what that's like. As a pastor, believe me, there's nothing that will tear your heart out more than when people you've tried to love and tried to minister to, tried to be there for, when they choose, I'll just, I'm not going to go any further with that. I'm just saying, when that happens, it hurts. So all of us know what it's like to be done wrong. But let me tell you what you can't do. You cannot allow that root of bitterness to grow. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 15. Brother, put, go over there with me if you will please. Hebrews chapter 12 and the 15th verse. Watch this powerful verse of scripture. I love it. Watch what it says. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root. Everybody say root. Any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So the Bible says that root is under the ground, amen? But when it springs up, it produces the fruit. What is the fruit of bitterness? It's that many be defiled. Do you see that? So when I am walking in bitterness, when things don't go like I want it to go, when I don't get my way, when my plans don't work out, when I feel like I've been slighted, when I feel like someone's done me wrong, and I allow that root to grow and spring up. Not only will I be defiled by it, others will be defiled by it. Isn't that what it's saying? So what do we need to do? We get a deal with hurt, folks. We've got to extend the same grace and forgiveness to others that Jesus has extended to us. Oh, now wait a minute, Brother Israel. I can't do, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they've said to me. You don't know how this has went. They ain't treated me right. They left me out. They didn't include me. You don't know all this. Listen, I don't. But guess what? You've made it. Are you hearing me? You've made it. By the grace of God, you're still standing. You're still alive. You're still breathing. Jesus still loves you. You've made it. Let all that stuff go, man. It's killing you. It's wrecking your life. It's stealing your joy. That's why you feel so troubled and weak, weary. Because you're worried about all this stuff that don't make a hill of beans now. That's yesterday. Let it go. If that person has offended you and wronged you, go to them and say, hey man, let's work this out. Let's get it right. I'm tired of dealing with it. To walk in unforgiveness and bitterness is to allow someone else to live rent-free in your head. Bitterness, walking in it, is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. 
telling you. I've been there. I know what that's like. Let it go. Don't allow that root to stay any longer. It's worse than kudzu, man. It'll take over everything. Go back to Ephesians. Bitterness will steal your joy. Let's go on. Ephesians 4.31, brother. And be kind and let all bitterness and, watch this, wrath and anger. How you know wrath and anger will steal your joy? The Bible says that we are to be angry and sin not. How many of you know anger, being angry is not a sin? It's not. Hey, you know Jesus got angry, cleared off a spot, and threw a fit when he needed to? But now this is the key. You've got to be angry at the right reason, for the right reason, at the right time, at the right people, and handling all in the right way. And that's where I fail. I can get angry what I know by the word of God says I need to be angry at, but how to handle it sometimes where I mess up. So you've got to be careful about holding on to that crutch. Well, it's not wrong to be angry. Let me tell you something. When you live in anger, it's wrong. It's going to steal your joy and affect others. It really will. Quit being angry. We've got much more to be happy about than to be angry about. And when you're walking in the joy of the Lord, you won't get near as angry as you need to. Just a few weeks ago, something happened to me that um, I'm ashamed about, to be honest. There was a guy who cut me off in traffic, did some things that really made me terribly mad. And I didn't handle it near as, as well as I should have handled it. There was a confrontation that took place, and after I left that place, the Holy Spirit of God poured out a bucket of conviction on my life. That ever happened to you? And as I'm running down the road, I thought, how stupid am I? What in the world's wrong with me? I am a child of the living God. The Bible says my home is in heaven. I have a beautiful wife who loves me. I've got three great kids. The Lord has gifted me with a church that he allows me to preach the word of God in. Life is good, brothers and sisters. And here I am, losing my stinking mind over some dude in traffic. Did it matter? Did it really matter? It didn't. Anger got me, and I lost my joy. Listen, don't forfeit your joy because you want to hold on to your selfish, sinful anger. I'm preaching to me now. Then he says this, and clamor. You know what clamor is? It's a word the Bible uses a lot called contentions. Strife and arguing, arguing is what it actually means. If you want to see how God, what God feels about contention, strife, and arguing among the brethren, read the book of 1 Corinthians. Right now we're in it. Or just come to Wednesday night Bible study. You can do that. We're doing that on Wednesday night. Come on, be a part. What, you know, let me tell you what I found out. The whole book of 1 Corinthians was written because Paul knew that there were some contentions 
some little factions that had split up in the church of Corinth. There was some stupid stuff. Everybody's mad at everybody and God couldn't work. Don't be a contentious person. Don't try to start trouble. That's going to rob you of your joy and others of their joy as well. Do not be a negative Nancy. Everything ain't always bad. Some things are bad. But not everything's bad. You've been around those people, you ask them how they're doing, and they give you 45 minutes on absolutely everything that's wrong in their life. And it's almost like, I didn't sign on for this. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. You're a child of God. Don't just, don't just lose it over this stuff that don't make a hill of beans. You are going to heaven. I mean, listen, folks, if the wheel runs off and I can't pay the power bill next month, I'd still have joy. You want me to tell you why? I'm going to heaven. If I leave this place today and somebody cuts me off in traffic, praise God, listen, I'm a child of the king and I'm going to heaven. I ain't going to have to worry about it up there. Are you understand what I'm saying? Nothing can change my relationship with the God of heaven. I'm going to heaven. Don't let this stuff get to you. I know we're all going through stuff, but don't let it control you. Don't let it steal your joy. He says this in evil speaking. Woo. We don't need a show of hands, but how many of you have ever left, ever left the church and had roast preacher on the way home when you left for dinner? Well, I tell you what, that's the last time I'll be there. I didn't get nothing out of that service. You ever said it? You said, brother, how do you know that? Because I said it. Believe me, folks, they sometimes I'm preaching, it gets so boring, I don't even want to finish it. I'd be like, Lord, what? Is, I know I studied this. I dropped it here. God, God, I'm sorry. Man, fix me something. This, this was bad. I've been there. I know what it's like. How many, how many of you have ever left church and brought up everything that's wrong instead of everything that's right? If you want to find a way to be offended, and to get your feelings hurt, you can find it. Believe me, you'll find it. It's going to happen. You me tell you why? Because nobody in here is perfect. We live in a fallen creation in an imperfect world. And as long as we're here, we are going to have to deal with stuff that get beside us, get on us. But that gives you no right to speak evil of your brother. Or your sister. Gives you no right. And when you choose to do that, you will forfeit your joy. You grieve the spirit by. It'll make him sad, and therefore make you sad. Amen? James. Brother, put, put me on the screen and I'm done. James chapter number...
I know there's a James in here. James chapter number three, verse number five. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and set on the fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therefore, bless we God and even the Father, and therefore curse we men, because, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. That's what he says. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Let me tell you what has hurt ministries and churches and the cause of Christ more than anything else. Say, brother, it's got to be the drug business. I mean, hey, listen, we've got a drug problem in Marion County and in the southeast and all over the country, and it's got to be the drug business that's hurt the, the things of God more than anything else, and I, I don't think it is. And, and you say, well, brother, if it's not the drug business, it's, it's, it's alcohol. I'll tell you, that's what it is, alcohol. People drinking alcohol, and it's just ruining lives and done this and done that. Well, listen to me, folks. Those two things had, certainly hadn't helped things a whole lot, but I'll tell you this now, that, that ain't the one that's caused more trouble than anything else. He said, brother, it's politics. I mean, politics of uh, just uh, things in Washington and, and how they're leading. It's just terrible. Well, I agree with that. But that's not what has hurt the cause of Christ more than anything else. Let me tell you what's hurt ministries and churches and the cause of Christ more than anything else. The tongue. The tongue. When you tear down people with your tongue, you need to remember this. Every time you're talking bad about a child of God, you're talking bad about a child of God. Let me ask you something, parents. Does it anger you when someone talks bad about your children? Does me. Does me. How do you think God feels when you talk about his kids? We grieve the spirit with evil speaking. Let it go. Everybody stand together this morning. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Whew. That puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know what people's done to you. But I'll tell you this, I bet they hadn't whipped you with a cat of nine tails. I bet they hadn't um, hung you on a cross, put spikes through your wrists and feet. I bet they hadn't pressed a crown of thorns down on your head. Bet that ain't happened. I bet they hadn't wrongfully accused you and murdered you. I bet that ain't happened. You say, brother, what's that got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. It was for my sin he died. 
It was for your sin he died. Hebrews 2 and 9 says he tasted death for every man. I put him on the cross. You put him on the cross. It was your cross he died on. Yet, just like he did while he was on the cross, he forgave me. Remember when he was on the cross? This is what I love about Jesus. He looks down at the men who had just put the spikes through his wrist and feet, who had just spit upon him and plucked his beard out and beat him to the point that you could actually see the inner workings of his body. His flesh was ripped so bad. He looked down at the men who had just done this. Remember now, he's innocent the whole time. He's done nothing wrong. He looked down at him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. If he can forgive us, we can forgive others. We can. We can. Don't wait to do it. Get it right with the Lord and get it right with that person. And move on. You say, brother, they've already dead and gone. That's all right. Say, I forgive you anyway. Daddy, you hurt me, but I forgive you. Mama, you hurt me, but I forgive you. Grandma, Grandpa, you hurt me, but I forgive you. I'm done with it. I'm over it. And move on. Move on. Can't stress it enough. If you're here this morning, you've not yet been saved. Today's a day of salvation. Would you come? This invitation is for you. If you're here today, and maybe you just want to come pray about some of these things that are bothering you. Maybe you're struggling with. Believe me, I do a lot of praying before I come out here because I struggle with a lot of stuff. I've already gave you some of them in this message. I, I, I need God's grace daily too. All of us do. So if you need the Lord in any way, won't you come this morning? I believe God the Holy Spirit's in this room. Been a sweet spirit here today, and I believe he wants to work in your life. I believe he wants to set you free from past hurt and unforgiveness and bitterness and all that stuff. And he can do that if you'll allow him to. Brother, play for us.